our shows are always the ultimate spoiler fest. If you haven't read, listened, or watched the title of this episode, then you need to press pause on this and come back when you're done. Okay, see you soon. Welcome to Add to List Ladies, the podcast. We will be popping into your ears to review the movies, shows and books that everyone's been talking about. Just a trigger warning, this episode talks about domestic violence and abuse and if that stirs up anything for you, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Hello and welcome. I'm Leah. And I'm Holly and we're the Add to List Ladies. And today we're talking about... Sorry, I'm so used to, like, playing a character that it's, like, hard for me to, like, be normal. No one really knows who I am. I'm always putting on this facade or just, like, happy, perfect life. Have fun. Are you happy? Okay, today we are talking about This Is Paris, which is a YouTube documentary. Businesswoman, DJ and socialite Paris Hilton reveals the behind the scenes details of her life and career. And it goes for an hour and 50 minutes. It's directed by Alexandra Dean, produced by Aaron Sedman, and it features interviews with Kathy Hilton and Nikki Hilton Rothschild. Yeah, we should get into some fun facts. So the documentary was originally supposed to premiere as part of the Spotlight documentary category at the 2020 Tribeca Film Festival. But like many things, uh, the festival was cancelled due to corona. Yes, and we have documentary producer Aaron Sedman said it's an attempt to deconstruct that early persona and learn who she is as a woman and what she's been through. That complex nature of a human being that we often don't stop to examine because they're a celebrity. Paris's debut role was actually at 19 in the early reality show that some might remember, which was The Simple Life with Nicole Richie, where they played essentially spoilt brats. <laughs> Did you watch it? No. A little bit of it. Um, okay. And it was like the beginning of reality television in a lot it of ways. Was. It was. I loved it, actually. Okay. What are your thoughts? I thought it was really confronting, but I thought it was great that she showed a different side of herself in that way. What did you think? Uh, I thought it was self-fulfilling. Well, I guess if you're going to do that, there's a purpose. And at the end of the day, she's a smart woman, okay? She wants to reach a billion dollars. So what better way to connect with people than to really tell your story? Oh, I love this cynical side oh. of you, Holly. You're playing my role. <laughs> I agree as well. But yes, preach. Yes. That is very true. I was thinking this is, you know, hard to watch and it's so vulnerable, but it's also fantastic PR. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She knows what she's doing. <laughs> are we just like grumpy old ladies? We are grumpy yeah. old ladies. <laughs> okay. Should we unpack a few of the things that this documentary covers? Okay. Let's start off with how Paris Hilton is, you know, quite well known. Yes. And it's not just because of the simple life. Yes. Obviously, it's because there's a sex tape out there yeah. of her. Oh, and I, I did find this heartbreaking uh, to hear her perspective on it. What did you think? Yeah, I agree. I think from people like us, there often is cynicism around these kind of things, especially because there's a lot of talk about Kim Kardashian's career starting that way. So I think there's quite a, a negative um, sort of association there with people potentially leaking these things for their own gain, especially at that stage in, in time. Yes. And so what we hear is obviously the story of her telling that she's 18. I don't know. Have you seen it? What? The sex tape. No. Oh, okay. Well, I have seen it. <laughs> I've seen it. And she's clearly on drugs. She's off her face. It doesn't look like something that she could even 
even agree to be doing, although she does say that it was something she was doing in the moment with her partner, you know, her boyfriend that she loved, but she never consented to it being watched by anyone else. Mm -hmm. And he obviously goes on to sell it and make money and do interviews about it as well and, you know, defends himself that he's not the bad guy in all of this. It really broke my heart when she said that she felt like she was electronically raped, Mm. which I have to agree because she's become the butt of a joke mm. over something that people just should never have been able to see. Yeah. And and I guess everyone can transport themselves back to being 18 and being vulnerable, being confused, being all of those things. And just imagine that and, and a new relationship and then being exploited to that level so publicly. And I think the discussion was mainly around essentially slut shaming her. Like, yes. oh, you know, she's this, she's that. But she was, you know, in a lot of ways, a, quite a victim in this situation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. What about then? So from that point on, she skyrocketed to fame yes. in a simple life. <laughs> Um, I thought it was interesting or or amusing that her friends were all joking about, oh, they portrayed you on The Simple Life like you didn't know how to clean or you'd never done a hard day of work (laughs) when really you went to a boarding school with us and we were worked to the bone. Yes. (laughs) And she sort of laughed that off, but, you know, she was playing a role. Yes, and that's what she talks about. And we even hear her voice. And how interesting is that to hear her voice, like that it's so deep and husky and not the baby voice that she puts on, which I don't know why she's still doing doing that she's like over 40 like it's not working <laughs> yeah I think but do you did you ever know anyone in your life who used to do that no oh okay <laughs> do you <laughs> I'm that person no I'm not <laughs> I used to know a girl who did do that in high school and and she was quite intelligent as well and it does make me think why why does there have to be this performative helplessness and this performative ditziness to be seen as attractive or mm-hmm. why do they feel that way you know um I think she was much more endearing when she was being herself when she was, you know, showing her business savvy and when she used her normal voice. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, Obviously, it's a it's a mechanism that she uses to protect herself again. 100%. I think we have a quote about that, don't we? It says here, um, Jade Badowski wrote for The Decider, it tells the story of a girl forced to hide behind gaudy get-ups and vapid characters to avoid her trauma. Mm. So true, hey? She, I mean, you look at her house, it's full <laughs> of stuff, which I was kind of like, oh, wow, that's kind of great. Um, but, but, you know, it's all these different characters and roles and and things that she's using to sort of physically shield her from from who she is. Yes. And I was very jelly when she said that she never wears an outfit twice. (laughs) (laughs) I wore this outfit yesterday. Yeah, she's living the dream in a way. But she, then we, and that this is the whole thing, she's not really living the dream. She's not really living the dream. And she does say something about how she felt that when she made a certain amount of money that she would finally be happy. And then when she reached that goal, she was like, until I make a billion dollars, I won't be happy. And you get the feeling that even if she reaches that goal, she's just not going to be happy. Yeah. And it seems from what the documentary portrayed that there is a nonstop work situation for her. Like she was taking the first holiday that she said she'd taken since she was 13. Yeah. What do you think about that? I didn't <laughs> buy that. I didn't buy that at all. I was like, I, I get that she is working and obviously she gets to travel to exotic places. But at the end of the day, like when I travel for work, which I don't, but <laughs> You know, I'm probably Travel not going to be from one place to another <laughs> yeah. for ten minutes. Yeah, it's not a five star hotel or you know some 
beautiful tropical island that she's going to. So I, I didn't really get the tissues out when she said that. Yeah, okay. So maybe there's a lack of awareness of privilege in yes. that if your work takes you to Germany to DJ a concert <laughs> and you're living in a five-star resort and you can bring a whole bunch of people around and everyone serves you, that's still a pretty good yeah. situation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Fair, fair call. So this was written by Daniel Diodario for Variety. This documentary seems so intent on excavating her trauma up to and including animated reenactments of her time in purgatorial prep school that it loses sight of her. It makes the case that her ability to get out of attention by saying nothing was a defence mechanism. Once the work of excavating the trauma is done, though, it doesn't get her to say much more than that. Mm. All right, so when I watched it, obviously they were talking about the um, abuse and obviously the things that went on at the Provo Canyon School and things like that. But I felt like she didn't give us enough to sympathise with her. Okay. So what kind of things were you looking for? Okay. Well, I guess there was, I'm going to read a quote that she actually says because, so this wasn't at Provo Canyon School. I think this was at one before that. She says, we were building other camps, basically doing manual labour all day long. And when I heard that, I just thought, like, honey, like you're so privileged. Like, obviously, you know, maybe that camp that she went to at that point or school, they were trying to, I guess, break her in a way, but to make her stronger, <laughs> to break her, to build her. It didn't seem abusive. I think okay. manual labour all day didn't seem abusive. And yes. what's wrong with, like, you know, actually making something with your hands? Like, I guess I understood what the intent was there. So she's there for 11 months. She claims that she was abused, forced to take drugs, stripped down and placed in solitary confinement. And she continually tells the story of the solitary confinement, of the one day she was in solitary confinement. But still, solitary confinement, Holly. I can't believe I'm playing the role of sympathetic oh. here when it's usually you. <laughs> but, like, that's not great. No, no, no. And, I, and I'm not saying it's great, but I felt like if she was going to really get into the abuse, she needed to open up even more about how that affected her. I don't know. I just, yes. I didn't feel there was enough Okay, all right. I'm with you now. With her. You got me there. Yeah. Okay, so what I thought, this, yeah. is, <laughs> this is my intellectualisation of it. Okay. The I think the traumatic part for her was actually the rejection of her parents. The fact oh. that they did not actually have any meaningful conversation oh, to her yes. and literally kidnapped her in the middle of the night. She was pulled out of her bed at night without any... The fact that her sister tells the story of hearing her screaming down the hall and then Paris is gone and no one talks about it in their family was so telling to me that although there is an abundance of privilege, yes. there is a lack of privilege when it comes to any kind of emotional support or connection. Oh, absolutely. I felt when she told that story about being kidnapped. Well, that was how they took her off to the school. Yes. But I'm also looking at it at the point that she's a troubled teen. That's how they see her. That's the role that they see her as. She wasn't going to go with them quietly. She wasn't. Go- there wasn't going to be a conversation like, Paris, you're going to stop going out at night and hanging out with your friends and now you're actually going to go away for a while to grow up a little bit, which, you know, she obviously went to a really bad place. Am I hearing you justifying <laughs> kidnapping a child no, in the no, middle no, of the no. night? Absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> Not. What the heck? <laughs> I, I, I think that's wrong. I think they should have sat down with her and had a conversation, but I don't think she would have gone. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. I can understand. So. <laughs> I think I think un- 
undoubtedly she's a victim of not having any kind of guidance. I think to get to the point mm. where she is every single night at, what was she, 13 or 14, she's clubbing into the hours of the morning. She's worked yes. out how to get, you know, an ID or to, I see, look, I never did this, so I don't know <laughs> what you need. But she was doing all that stuff. Um, there's an absence of any kind of guidance or support for her, don't you think? Like, oh, she's absolutely. So, yeah, so I think that was just, that. I felt like that was the true story of this documentary and that the Provo Canyon thing was terrible and, you know, yes. like good on you for using your profile to draw some attention to the fact that a lot of the methods in these places are really harrowing and terrible. Yes. That's great. And obviously there were survivors of that school who that really did something for them. But the true story, in my opinion, was when you are deprived of connection, support and love or when you can't, you know, understand that or feel that, the, the ways that your life can go. Yes, and I felt like the mum was not sympathetic at all. Oh, she didn't shed a tear during that interview. She came across scene. very cold, what, didn't she? What a scene. I thought that was so interesting. She sits down with her mum and she says, hey, mum, when I was, how old, 16? When I went to that particular school of the many schools that you shipped me off to, <laughs> oh, I feel I do feel so bad about this. Um, she said I was beaten, I was you know put in, I was stripped of my clothes, and I was put into solitary confinement. The mum just she's blanked. not emotional. <laughs> she didn't give us anything, did she? And I thought in that moment is your chance to straight away rush to your kid and say I'm so sorry. I didn't have the tools. I didn't know how to show you love. I didn't know how to support you. Mm. And all she kind of said she just went really quiet. That she put her hand over her face for a second. <laughs> Which I didn't even know if there was some tears coming out of there or whether that was no. just a, you know. We're but, so sceptical. Fake, yes. fake tears. Fake tears. But even the even her sister, so Nikki, she even says, like, Paris is addicted to drama. Drama follows her. She kept telling that story. And even when she was talking about her sister being taken, I don't feel that she was emotional about it either. I think mm. she was probably not surprised. Like, oh, she was the naughty one. Yeah, okay. Yes. And, and I can understand as well the impact on the sibling when one sibling is so, you know, causing the parents so much anxiety and stress. But I, I thought Nikki was one of the best characters in this doco, <laughs> but I know you're not a Nikki fan. I'm not a Nikki fan. So why? Tell me why you don't like Nikki. I don't know. I just I felt like she wasn't on her sister's side. And I think what you can see is a really broken woman. And we'll talk about, obviously, her relationships as well. But she needs help and they have access to resources and money that people don't have and yet she is the way she is. She's still suffering through trauma and her sister and her mum don't even have the capacity to help her out or to force her to have help even mm, yeah, because she can't see it herself. They're very much a tough love family. They are. And I'm going to draw, stoic. I want to draw on your treasure trove of knowledge <gasps> here because you're a, a Richard's sister aficionado. <laughs> yes. We both love the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and they're Auntie Kyle and their Auntie Kim, who are Kathy Hilton's sisters. So mm -hmm. Paris's mums, Paris's aunties are on that show. But you have also gone the extra step and watched the show about their mum and the lot, like the whole, what's that called? Oh, uh, yes, American Woman. Yeah, so is do they come from a family with a lot of tough love, I guess is my question. Oh, I actually don't think they do. Okay, so what? how were they conveyed in that? show? Well, I guess the their mum was conveyed as being very free-spirited So and this would be Paris's grandmother for anyone playing along. Yes. So Paris's grandma was portrayed as? As a, an independent woman, someone who was happier being alone than being with her husband who was able to financially provide. She wasn't going to put up with him having an affair. So I saw her as quite a 
great role model. Okay, but what about like in business? Was she like hustling and ruthless and almost uh, like okay, is that so, what's valued in that family? Yes. Uh, so what we have is her pushing her daughters into, you know, the celebrity life because it paid well. Mm. And we even saw that in the Paris Hilton doco that she's told as a young child how pretty she is and that she's going to grow up to be famous. Mm. So she starts to hear that story over and over as a child. And as she grows up, that's what she wants to be. Yeah. She wants 100%. to fulfill that. Yeah. So they really, they idolise fame in that family. Yes. Yeah. And they all sort of go on to marry, all of those sisters all go on to marry people of influence, people with money, people with mm. fame. Interestingly that her dad's not in the doco. Oh, good point. I didn't think about that. Well, I guess they're embarrassed. Yeah. And th- that's, I guess that's one of the... F- things of why they even sent her away because they were like, you are embarrassing the Hilton name. Oh, yes. It's all about how it looks and they needed to hush. just have her, have her out of the way, didn't they? Yes. She was a real inconvenience to their PR machine. Yes. Oh, see, it's so terrible. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's talk about her relationships. Now, this was, yeah. So what did we, we've learned that she has a laptop per partner. (laughs) This one really got me. So she says that she, every time she gets a new boyfriend, she gets a new laptop because they will go through it and then they get angry and jealous and throw it. Because they might see the remnants of a previous partner on there. Perhaps. Or, you know, whatever it is. How bizarre. That was bizarre. And she, she I mean, sad, she had a lot of sad. laptops. That's fine. You can have a lot of boyfriends. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, not, yeah, yeah. not judging her at all no. for that. But I feel it's like, what type of men are you inviting into your life that they feel, one, they have access to your property and they can invade your privacy and that they're getting jealous? Like, what what is up with that? I absolutely was devastated by the scene where she has to go and DJ. Mm. Where is she? In Germany or something. Mm-hmm. And the the partner is sabotaging her. He's picking a fight with her. She's about to go on stage. She's basically having a panic attack and he's just yelling in her face and harassing her and following her. It, oh, it really grieved me. Actually, I got quite teary because I just thought this is the kind of abuse that is not always talked about or shown, but that real sabotage, coercion, manipulation is just as toxic and terrible. Because he wanted her attention and she was about to give it to other people. Yeah, I hated that scene. Like, uh, you know, as in I felt uncomfortable about it. But also that she said, and she talked about that she's had quite a few boyfriends who choke her and beat her up, which is publicly known. We've seen photos of that. Mm. And I just felt really sad for her that she continues this cycle of abuse. Yeah, I think there's a real lack of understanding. And I read this somewhere and I can't remember exactly where, but it was talking about like sometimes when you grow up in a real tough love situation, you don't see a lot of the signs of abuse early Mm. because there's an absence of some of these particular things in your childhood. And then you can't identify as things start to slip and slide and change as as the process of abuse takes place. Yes. And she also says, that when they do that, she feels that it means that they really love her and care about her because they're getting so angry and jealous. Yeah, and there's a real misconception that control is love. Yes. And it's really not. No. Yeah, I felt so sad about all of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've told you before, maybe I've written it, but the podcast you're wrong about talks about how fame is abuse. Yes. And I think that was just so well exemplified in this, isn't it? Because it does no one any service to be lonely, to be absent of, of support, to be criticised constantly, to be objectified. Mm. All of those things really don't help. <laughs> yeah. What a downer. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> 
this is so sad, this episode. My gosh. We better have some poppy recommendations. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's an interesting documentary, obviously a trigger warning for anyone who has experienced abuse, but overall worth watching, don't you think, Cole? Yes, absolutely. Eye-opening. Yes. All right, let's talk about if someone liked this show, what would, what would be something similar that they would like? Um, I was thinking Red Table Talk. The latest one on Facebook is one with Will Smith, mm. and he's unpacking, juicy, juicy, uh, unpacking his sort of feud that he's had ongoing for 30 years with the original actress who played Aunt Viv in The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And it's a really, really candid conversation. It only goes for 30 minutes, and it's on Facebook. Uh, and he just really basically sits with a psychologist and works through his own issues of inadequacy, of family violence, of all these kind of things, and um, and then reconciles with her. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd say that's worthwhile. Now, should we talk about the You've Got Us? Yes. Then you got the, got the. Okay, so I'm going to recommend a podcast, which is called Seize the Yay, and it is hosted by Sarah Davidson, who is the founder of Matcha Maiden, and she is delightful. Uh, when you listen to her, I don't know, her voice bounces. <laughs> and she chats to different people from all walks of life, and we really go through the good, the bad, the ugly, but she really wants to find out what makes them happy, not just money and work, but what's the yay in their day. Mm, she has- has a really um, fun jingle at the start. She Can does. you sing it for us? Holly? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> okay, I'm going to recommend Instant Family. It's a Netflix uh, movie and it's got Rose Byrne, who's an Aussie, and Mark Wahlberg. Uh, and they adopt three kids. And it's just a funny, heartwarming story about the whole process of that. Um, it shines a light on the challenges that people who adopt children go through. And it's just really beautiful, but also really, you know, tempered with humour and lovely and not cheesy. So oh, you need the tissues for that one. Oh, yes. Tissue yeah. alert. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's really good. So I'd say that's all we have time for today, Holly. We do. So come and catch us over on our Facebook group, which is Add to List Ladies, the group, and on Insta and Facey. Yeah. Bye. Thanks for listening. For more reviews, you can follow us on Insta at Add to List Ladies. And if you like this episode, leave us a review or share it with a friend. <laughs>